Good morning. I know it's a very British thing to do to moan about the weather, but the current heat spell isn't really that great for many in farming. We haven't had any decent rain for several weeks now and it certainly isn't in the forecast and everything is tinder dry. Um, It is quite risky out there at the moment. And a lot of the crops, cereal crops, winter wheat crops, sugar beet crops, spring barley, spring wheat, peas, beans are starting to flag. You know, what looked like things were growing quite well, all of a sudden they're not growing nearly as well so it's maintained prices better. More on the dry conditions in a moment and we're out with the pod squad as the pea harvest gets underway. There is so much latent heat in the soil after a period of warm weather that they will still keep maturing. Plus, still with peas, the new snack coming to a shop shelf near you. They're a snack made out of out of pea flour, basically. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. You can't fail to have seen the horrendous images from Saddleworth Moor as firefighters, even the army, have spent much of the week tackling a huge blaze that's led to homes being evacuated, livestock moved and much of Manchester covered in smoke. It's not just the moors, though, of course, that are at risk with the dry conditions. It's a concern for many in agriculture just about everywhere. Alison Pratt is from the NFU. This uh, dry weather can be a problem, can't it, Alison? Yes, and the increased risk of uh, countryside fires is uh, really out there at the moment. Um, We haven't had any decent rain for several weeks now, and it certainly isn't in the forecast. And everything is tinder dry. So the slightest spark, um, a lit cigarette end, perhaps even a reflection of a a glass bottle could set something going. Um, It is quite risky out there at the moment. Please don't take barbecues with you out into the countryside. Uh, It might be a good idea to take a picnic, but don't take anything that might set fire to the countryside. And we're also asking farmers to be very careful um, when they start their combines up for the first time. There's a danger every year that um, a combine hasn't been cleaned out properly and a loose spark might set fire to old chaff and debris inside the combine. So make sure you clean it out properly and have your fire extinguishers well serviced. Now, of course, fire is only one issue uh, facing agriculture with this dry spell. There are plenty of other issues as well, aren't there, Alison? Yes, it's going to have a knock-on effect uh, in many areas of farming, unfortunately. Uh, We're already seeing that some crops are quite stunted. Uh, Irrigation is obviously taking place on those crops that need it and where it's um, available. Um, And we're also seeing that there might be shortages of fodder also for our livestock. Um, It's important that farmers do make sure that they have enough of everything and particularly make sure that their livestock are well catered for in terms of water. Um, it's, it's a big issue and it doesn't look like there's going to be any rain on the horizon. Words of warning and, as ever, very useful advice from Alison Pratt at the NFU. Well, battling the heat and working around the clock to do so with the team at Fens Peas, I joined uh, MD Stephen Francis out in the field earlier in the week. It was before the hottest of the days, uh, but was still hot enough. So uh, how's harvest so far? Well, we, we've had a good start, actually, Sean. We started a week ago today and it's been non-stop since then. We've, even though it's not been as warm as it's forecast to come, we've uh, stayed with the crop. We're currently on a quite a significant run of AA grade peas, but we are bracing ourselves for what's coming uh, later in the week. So tell us why uh, the heat is such an issue for you. Well, we base these whole... Pl- we start planning this process in October last year or in the previous October um, and it's all based on average temperatures and sunshine throughout the last ten years and we always get these peaks that can throw us. But what happens is even if it does cool down 
there is so much latent heat in the soil after a period of warm weather that they will still keep maturing. So even if the temperature, say, dropped to 14 degrees tomorrow, these peas would still keep maturing at quite a rapid pace until the soil had actually cooled down. And uh, yeah, maturity, as with wheat and other crops, is driven by warmth and sunshine, and we've got it in abundance. And obviously, once you've taken them up, though, you want that heat to drop dramatically between leaving this field and getting to the factory, don't you? Well, we do, as we've... Uh, one that you can't do on radio but we've just put a temperature probe in a pea pod and it was reading 28 degrees so these peas now need to go to our customer green yard at boston and they need to get them to minus 18 degrees so that's a drag of nearly 50 degrees c so it's asking a lot of the factory and to be fair to them they're on top of it and running well we don't seem to have had the proper seasons for, oh, I don't know, at least the last couple of years. Certainly we didn't have the, the usual winter that we'd expect, although we did have a couple of significant snow effects. Is that having an effect on the quality and of the peas that you're seeing so far? Uh, not yet, no. The one thing is if we can get this sunshine, even though we don't want it too extreme, but getting the sunshine will mean that we get the quality. The worst thing that we can have is dull, damp conditions. So... We've got what we've got, we're managing it, we're dealing with it, and as we sit here currently, I've got a smile on my face and a full head of hair. You mentioned uh, on Twitter last night, or you retweeted this trial that seems to be taking place about autumn um, peas and that will grow underneath the snow. Is that, is that going to be a go, do you think? Um, it's something we've got to look at to try and extend our season because we're all yeah we only run for eight weeks of the years these machines are half a million quid if we can use them longer we want to about when was it in 2007 peas were very short and down at Bourne we drilled some peas in January they came through and they actually got snow three inches of snow on them and they were absolutely perfect and as you say i picked that thing up from france on the internet last night and i have a response from pgro this morning that say the one problem with it, they weren't being negative because they will look at it but the one problem with it that if you've got lush green crop in the autumn you're under attack from pigeons so that's one thing to consider but to say i mentioned pgro you know we've got to be looking as i say how we can extend our season see what's going on around the world and if we can extend it that's great great for everybody we can produce more and yeah it's a win-win if we can but we'll see we might have a go at something at some stage as we've discussed before it's a very versatile vegetable as well you can use it in so many different ways i don't know if you know um pipers obviously based near barton on humber i've got these crispies now which are sort of baked peas have you heard about that brand i have i haven't got to taste them yet and uh if uh, mr allbone's listening to this transmission what he could send some samples down to the pea field and we'll give him an honest opinion but you're quite right they're very versatile um you know, it went through the Yes Peas campaign, which um, this year we've actually got a pop-up pea restaurant in London in the second week of July, where journalists are welcome to come and we're going to be talking to, via modern technology, FaceTime, Skype, whatever, to pea groups around the UK so that people in the city can get a feel of uh, how we do it all. Um, but yeah, you can put them on salads. You can do so much things. They are an ingredient rather than in our youth Sean they were a side dish and that was it uh, but yeah and they colour up a plate they're great and the other thing is people needn't be worried about the fact they're a frozen product because if they worry they haven't got them slightly defrosted it ain't going to kill them you know they're fine lovely and finally what for you is a successful harvest successful eight weeks 
crikey to get all the peas harvested green and to get all the men home safely because we are operating 24 hours a day they go onto the same farms each year but things change we're as careful as we can looking at if an electricity board has put a wire in or something but to get people home they will be tired at the end of the season but if they've got a smile on the face and the last words i'll see you next year that's a good pea season. Stephen Francis at Fens Peas, and we'll catch up with him again later in the campaign. Now, he mentioned Alex Olburn at Piper's. They were, in fact, both at school together, so know each other very well. Uh, Piper's Crisps, as they used to be known, has undergone a rebrand. The reasons? Because it's not just crisps anymore. They have launched, as I mentioned there with Stephen, Crispies. Alex, what's the idea behind the crispy? Well, do you know, in this world now, there's... Um, we... We do very well talking to the uh, to an age group. Uh, they're 18 years old to about 34. I think they're called millennials. And those which, people, which we both are. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah they're all thereabouts, give or take 20 years. <laughs> and um, there's a requirement out there, or, or there's an interest out there for things that have higher protein, uh, low fat, low salt, low sugar, and um, and this kind of fits the bill. Uh, there's a, there's a trend towards something called snackification, which is people eating at their desks, you know, where they're eating nuts um, and uh, trying to keep away from the chocolate middle morning and the rest of it. And, um, and this fits the bill for that. And so we're doing a lot of this is not particularly in the licensed trade, but lots in what's called the food to go area, uh, sandwich bars, coffee bars and, and such like. Uh, and it's very early days. It's only been around for about three weeks. And, early starts. And what are they? Um, they're a snack made out of out of pea flour, basically. Flavour and uh, they're a baked snack. Uh, they're baked and um, and then flavoured with uh, with all sorts of interesting flavours like mint, matar paneer, and salsa verde. Got three flavours. So it shows you're con- constantly uh, evolving. You know, you want you want Piper's Chris to, you know, not sitting on your laurels, kind of. Yeah, we're in the process. Of, you'll notice that over the next few weeks, you'll see our packaging changing. Um, uh, we've uh, we've rebranded a little bit, and uh, so our, our crisp packets no longer say Piper's Crisco; they say Piper's, uh, and uh, and we've changed the Piper himself. It's become a different logo, and we're seeing ourselves being far more aligned now to being a snack business than ju- just a crisp business. And it all started because you felt you needed to do something new, didn't you? Yes, seems all a very long time ago yeah. now. Yes, yes, 2004, 9th of April 2004 is when we first delivered crisps to Abbey Park Farms in East Eckington, who get a mention every time we ever say anything. But yes, yeah. Can you believe the success of the company? We're doing all right. Mm-hmm. We're in um, we're in 39 countries now as well as uh, we think we're in about 15 no not as many as that probably about 14,000 retailers in the UK um, lots of people that we deliver directly to also through the, through, uh, through, other, through wholesalers um, but we now go as far afield as um, I think we've made deliveries to New Zealand we do we go to China we go to places in the Middle East and we go to America all sorts of things France is really strong for us at the moment, uh, and we're doing uh, lots of stuff in Scandinavia as well, oddly. Not bad for a you know, factory there at Elsham, just in the shadow of the Humber Bridge, which was a small factory that every time I drive past it's getting bigger and bigger. It, it is bit by bit, yeah. yes. I think, I think we've got 
90 some odd people in the uh, on the payroll now so yeah a real diversification success story a story that's now stretched right across the globe alex alburn there at pipers right on to our open field update then rebecca pierce is here this week morning rebecca good morning sean a bit of a cold this week so yeah i'm a little under the weather <laughs> let's keep it brief then the prices i think Old crop wheat appears to have played out now. It's definitely best to speak to your local open field farm business manager with any balances you may have. New crop wheat has definitely firmed this week with as available harvest feed wheat trading between 150 to 160 pounds a ton area dependent with a pound per ton per month carry through to November where growers can achieve between 155 to 165 pounds a ton X farm for feed wheat. It's difficult to gauge premiums at present whilst we remain uncertain over crop quality. But currently, new crop full spec group one premiums are trading circa 12 to 15 pounds a ton. As available harvest barley values are circa 130 to 135 pounds a ton X farm with a strong carry through until November, where personally in my area in East Yorkshire, we can achieve around 145 pounds a ton X the farm gate. Oil seed rate values have also firmed this week, with values now trading between £285 to £290 a tonne off combine, with north of £300 a tonne X farm being available for some for November. Again, on any old crop barley or oil seed rate values, it is best to get in touch with your local farm business manager. Thanks, Rebecca. Rebecca Pierce at Open Field. Earlier, I was out with the team at Fens Peas, and I've got to admit, just one morning in the sun was enough for me. What's it been like for our agronomist, Sean Sparling? Morning, Sean. Oh, you're not kidding, Sean. What a wonderful, wonderful week of weather, particularly if you're lying on a beach in Corfu like Wardy is. Um, but no, when you're out there walking fields, and I mean, I've been still walking my 16, 18 miles every single day. I've been starting at five in the morning when the temperature's already above 20. And we've had a week where, well, since last Saturday, really, we haven't had a day less than 25 degrees, I don't think. And latterly, the last few days, it's been well in excess of 28. And that has brought its own problems with it. And uh, the implication of all that heat is evaporation particularly when you get a warm wind associated with it. And when I'm walking fields, I can feel the wind in my face because of forward motion. As soon as you stop, it's then you realise just how hot it is. And a lot of the crops, cereal crops, winter wheat crops, sugar beet crops, spring barley, spring wheat, peas, beans, are starting to flag now because of the lack of rain. And it's worse on the sands and it's worse on the limestone, on the heath where you've got shallow soils with a lot of stone in it. And the reason for that is over the winter months, we had quite a lot of wet weather. We weren't excessively rainfall but we didn't get an awful lot of drying so the soil sat wet for several months and the implication of that was the cereal crops that we drilled in the autumn didn't have to look for moisture therefore the roots are quite shallow they were sat in water all winter they didn't need to go deep because they didn't need to look for it and it's when you get to this time of the year that you realize now things have dried out those roots are shallow and they're sitting in dust and it's that which is the problem because we're seeing nitrogen deficiency we're seeing moisture stress we're seeing the flag leaves roll up we're seeing them go pale and chlorotic and necrotic because they can't access nutrients and moisture water a rainfall would solve a lot of the problems we have with these crops it may come too late for some of them because there's no real rainfall in the forecast over the next few days it's generally more of this more of the same more of the heat 
and while we've got evaporation particularly on stony soils that's why the that's why the effects are so great really i mean sugar beet crops absolutely flat to the floor peas and beans shriveling up and starting to wilt and um while we're talking about sugar beet there's no point putting herbicides on in temperatures above 21 because not only do the herbicides not work the weeds shut down the the herbicide itself simply won't work and the propensity for crop damage when you're spraying a floppy crop is huge so you're better to go on a crop that's not limp and flagging and you're better to go first thing in the morning or last thing at night but certainly not during the heat of the day not least because if you're putting 100 litres of water on uh, as your tank makes that's about a teaspoon of water per square metre as a fine mist well if you've got hot temperatures it'll just evaporate so keep your water volumes up low dose low volume is sugar beet therefore wrong thing to do is spray in the heat for all sorts of reasons while we go back to winter wheat aphids this is perfect weather for aphids uh, cereal aphids i'm not seeing a lot i'm seeing the odd one i'm not finding colonies i'm certainly not finding enough to warrant spraying remember you can't use pyrimicarb anymore in winter cereals so all you've got is pyrethroids a lot of the aphids are resistant to pyrethroids so if you haven't got a need to go don't go preserve those pyrethroids for later on in the autumn when we're dealing with bydv vectors because we're going to need them once we've lost the neonicotinoids so we need to make sure they're still working um, and to be honest once a winter wheat crop gets the cheesy right the aphids can't get the mouth parts in anyway so they don't direct feed honeydew becomes the threat because it attracts the spores from ergot but really there's nothing out there that i've seen which warrants spraying but keep your eyes open speak to your advisor cheesy ripe it's largely the cutoff timing anyway for any pyrethroids growth stage 75 so you're too late in many cases anyway spring wheat spring barley winter barley largely finished now quite a lot of abiotic spotting little bit of ramillaria in the spring barleys um but again they need a blooming good drink most of them are finished but there are the later ones which have still to have a second fungicide make a decision as to whether it's worth it and which route you take with that um, peas and beans there is still some aphid activity out there in those uh, pea aphids quite widespread there's some pea moth there's brookid beetle in the beans there are black aphids but not at the levels i would expect to see them this is perfect aphid weather and they're just not there remember you've only got one hit with perimicarb in peas and beans now so that wants timing perfectly because it's much better on black aphids because it gives you a vapor activity for five to seven days whereas the pyrethroids don't and remember there's a lot of beneficials in these crops the pea, the bees the wasps the parasitic wasps the tiny ones you can't see the big ones you can see the hoverflies the lacewings all of those things are doing us a lot of good ladybirds they're feeding on aphids so only go if you're getting to threshold uh, and monitor it closely because if you've got potato blight conditions which we have then you've got downy mildew conditions and disease conditions too in peas and beans although the botrytis risk will be much reduced because we're not getting that wet weather and looking at the forecast it's set fair now for the next seven days for more of the same so um, the only other thing then is i mean in potatoes just while i'm thinking about aphids finding colonies of winged and wingless under the leaves you're probably better to go biscaya plenum tapiki rather than pyrethroids on those because they will do a better job and most of the misers persicae peach potato aphid are resistant to pyrethroids anyway so that leads us with oilseed rate which is turning rapidly it appears but some of these fields are just bleaching from the intense sunlight and the heat you need to 
pull open the pods and check the seeds. Don't just assume because the field's gone yellow, it's ready to spray off. It really is not that straightforward. I'm looking at fields which are yellow and yet the seeds are not turning at all. I've got fields which are green and the seeds have turned and they look a week ahead of the yellow field. So your criteria is the seeds in the top pods want to be largely still green or with a hint of brown. They won't, they might be the odd brown one, but that, that'll be it. It's the seeds in the middle pods which want to be largely brown turning. They're turning brown. They may still be some green. There'll be the odd black one. Down in the bottom pods, they'll all be brown. There won't be any green and there'll be the odd black one. That's your timing. Why would you ruin a crop of rape that you've looked after all year to get to this point, spread off a fortnight early just because you haven't been in the field and checked? So crucial, really, to make sure you're spraying the right thing at the right time. Potato blight, now we're in hutton periods. Every day is a blight day, it appears. But thundery weather, hot thundery weather, if you're a potato grower, you understand what I mean. Target it right and make sure you understand what your chemical processes are because there's a lot of resistant to a lot of different active ingredients now in the blight population. So make sure you mix that chemistry up. And really, what we need is a good, sensible, gentle downward rain. But of course, when that rain comes, it will come accompanied with a hurricane horizontal and knock the blooming lot down to the floor. We need rain for grain fill. A lot of the weeks are past that. They need sunshine to finish them. We really don't want a lot. We just want the perfect weather for the perfect harvest. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. I'm not sure the current conditions are doing much for potatoes. I could be wrong, though. Let's find out from Colin Jackson at PJP. How are things, Colin? <laughs> Morning, Sean. Am I right or am I wrong? Um, yeah, not much good. Um, obviously, the biggest majority of the crop these days is irrigated. Um, so there's an awful lot of hard work trying to keep up with irrigation. And uh, the high winds that we were seeing as well sort of recently were, were really not doing any good as far as the um, irrigation goes, as well as the hot weather. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I mean, it has an effect of obviously helping the price though, because, um, you know, what looked like things were growing quite well, all of a sudden they're not growing nearly as well. So it's maintained prices better. Um, so, you know, there's always a, a silver lining, let's say. Always indeed. What are the prices at the moment, roughly? Well, we're on to, you know, well into new season now. Um, the, uh, the sort of rocket nearly done and prices of rocket sort of got down to around and about the sort of 200 pounds and actually a little bit below um, before the dry weather really kicked in. Um, other varieties like Maris Bard and varieties like that, which sort of tend to come in slightly sort of later than the rocket, um, they're maintaining around uh, seven bags, seven pounds a bag um, for a 25 kilo bag at the moment, so uh, which is 280 pounds a tonne. Um, so and, and maintaining relatively well at those kind of levels. And the quality? Yeah, quality is very good. Um, always concerned when it gets this hot, particularly with the new season, that um, you know you can get a bit of breakdown uh, in the crop. But at the moment, um, fingers crossed and touching wood and everything else, um, quality seems to be pretty good. And uh, even these hot temperatures, um, we're not getting a lot of uh, moans and groans from the uh, from the end users. Mother Nature likes to challenge, doesn't she? Whether it's um, the, uh, the the significant snow we had earlier in the year and the heavy rain coming at the wrong time, now this very big dry spell. But, yeah. you know, you're getting through, are you? Yes, yeah, yeah, no, that's right. I mean, and, and actually somebody had said some time ago now that the the, um, the spring that we've seen, the winter and spring, has been very similar to 1976. And, of course, that's, that's in sort of folklore for uh, potato growers um, because they made an absolute fortune. I mean, I don't think we're going to see quite those um, prices that, uh, that are relative to those uh, in this day and age. But um, certainly... 
you know, it, it will limit the um, the supply end, and so prices should remain uh, better than than perhaps they were looking like. Well, if, if you could predict the prices from uh, 76 to today, I'd, I'd be asking you whether England are going to win the World Cup. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yes. <laughs> Not a lot of chance on either, I think, but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> but on the whole, things steady, would you say? Yes. I mean, the trade is um, it's relatively buoyant. I mean, it, at the end of the day, at this time of year, um, the market can soon get overdone. Um, but at the moment, it's in quite a nice balance, and so uh, yeah, prices are maintaining. Thank you. Colin Jackson at PJP. We've uh, talked a lot about the weather this week. Mind you, we often do. Uh, what's the forecast for the coming week, though? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, I can't see much rain in the forecast. That can change. Today, some sunshine, but it will cloud over, actually, in most places. 23 the high, the wind from the east at about 15 miles an hour. Overcast overnight, though clear skies again by first thing tomorrow morning. Lows of 12, the wind more from the northeast, 10, maybe gusting at 20 miles an hour. Then it's a sunny Monday ahead, staying dry, highs of 22, and that wind from the east-northeast, 15 to 20 miles an hour. Clouding over again for a time, briefly, early on Tuesday morning. We've got lows of 11, the wind from the north-northeast, again, 10 to 20 miles an hour. And then sunshine once again on Tuesday, highs of 18 Celsius, so a little cooler. The wind from the northeast at about 15 miles an hour. Again, clear skies to start, but clouding over come Wednesday morning. Lows a little cooler again of 8, the wind more from the north at about 5 miles an hour. And then a cloudy Wednesday ahead, maybe a shab, but it looks mostly dry. 16, the high, and that wind from the northeast again at about 5 miles an hour. And then as we head towards the latter end of the week, well, that's when things may change. Still going to be warm. We're looking at highs of around uh, 22 Celsius, overnight lows around 10 to 12. But there is the possibility of some particularly heavy rain come the end of the week. That's when it looks like it's going to be wet. That can change, though, and we will, as ever, keep you updated with the hourly forecast. But for now, though, that is the forecast. Next week, we return to the issue of fly tipping. After a recent case in which one woman was fined, after being caught dumping waste in a notorious spot outside a farm, thanks to a cheap motion-operated camera which is usually used for spotting wildlife. Uh, more on that next week. Until then, as always, have a good week's farming.